it's not that I don't like your way. It's just that I lack the strength to practice it. And the master said back to him, those who lack the strength will come to a halt halfway. But in your case, you are drawing limits before you even begin. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. I've had and continue to have patients who would like to get pregnant, but they don't even have time in their overscheduled lives to knock boots. There are patients who would like instant relief for pain that's grown like twisted gnarled wood into their body mind for a decade or so, but instant relief is usually not in the cards. And then there's the patients who are unable to recognize when something improves because their life is on the treadmill of never enough and they can't let go of their relentless striving and they can't settle long enough to imbibe any sense of arriving or accomplishment. Except for acute illness or traumatic injuries, most of us have lived our way into the difficulties that we have. These troubles don't show up overnight. They arise through the inhabiting of our days in a particular kind of way. We, for the most part, unfold at the pace of nature, which means countless cycles of the moon and the slow transformation of season to season. Things take time, and healing takes time. And here is where we can get into trouble, because sometimes acupuncture can make a big difference in someone's life in a very short amount of time. Sometimes patients get relief from a pain that had been frozen for a long time, or they get a glimpse of how life felt at a more vital moment in their life. Acupuncture can provide an opportunity to see how life could be again, but they still have to grow into that. Modern medicine promises immediate and permanent change. And I think as acupuncturists, we can easily fall into that trap as well. It's good for business to get quick results. And I'm not suggesting that we don't do our level best. We should. But it's hard to swim against the tide. It's hard to help the athlete whose drive gets in the way of his healing. And it's hard to help the woman with depression and anger who runs her life on the energy of discontentment. All these things are obvious to me, as I too have often attempted to use my discontent as motivation. And I've hoped that there was a shortcut that would let me work around my laziness and to wish that life was magically different somehow. It takes time for fruit trees to grow into something that can bear fruit. And especially for the psychoemotive aspects of what troubles our patients, or us for that matter, it takes the slow turning of seasons to solidify certain changes. There is no 21-day challenge or boot camp that's going to do this. Nature moves at its own pace. When I lived in Taiwan, I was in a hurry to learn some language so I could get on with learning medicine. My new Taiwanese friends kept telling me to man man lai, to take it easy, to slowly, slowly arrive. This, at first, would throw some gasoline on my sense of urgency. I didn't have time to take it easy or take it slow. I had things to do. But language, like so many other things, can only be acquired at the pace of the nervous system's ability to rename the world. And it turns out that when looking to acquire language, it requires enough time to live into a life with a whole new set of names for things, along with the ability to frame reality with a different kind of grammar. It does take time and some healing. It takes time. We move at the pace of nature, and I suspect it's a good idea to remind ourselves of this on a regular basis. And 
it's helpful to remind our patients as well. They may not like to hear it, but it's hard to receive deep healing without the recognition that we are a part and not apart from the cycles and rhythms of this world. In a moment, we're going to be getting into a conversation on the archetypical images shared by both Confucius and Carl Jung. My friend, Pia Giamasi from Taiwan, who is a translator of Buddhist texts and also has a background in Chinese medicine, has some insights into how particular images and perspectives in Jungian and Confucian thinking bear a lot of resemblance. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. 
If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. Hey, friends, I've got Pia Giamasi with me today. She is in Taiwan. Ooh, I love Taiwan. And I'm here in uh, St. Louis. Pia is a friend of mine who lives in Taiwan. She is a Chinese medicine practitioner. She knows Chinese medicine. And she is a translator of Buddhist texts, including some lovely work uh, by one of her teachers, uh, Master Nan. But we're not here to talk about any of that today. Today, we're here to talk about Confucius and Carl Jung. Uh, for those of you that are, that are uh, listeners to Everyday Acupuncture, you might have heard Pia's episode when we went to a tea shop. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes because that's a really fun episode. But today, no tea shop, just Pia. Pia, welcome to Geological. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Well, you know, you were visiting here in St. Louis earlier in the year, and you told me about a project that you were working on where you were... Uh, looking at Confucius and Carl Jung's work, and and it just it kind of blew the top of my head off. Confucius and Carl Jung. It took me by surprise as well, actually. Tell us about that. How did how did you come to all this? All right. So the book on Confucius was one of the main works of my teacher, Master Nan, and. Some of the older students really wanted his that book in particular to be translated into English for the Western world to be able to kind of like have access to and to to understand who Confucius was and why Confucius is so important for the for the Chinese culture. And so I took on this project. Um, and it took a, a quite a long time. I mean, like I was working off of a preliminary, translation but that actually in the end kind of made things worse oh you know it's it's like that with translation sometimes isn't it yeah but so it was about two and a half years of uh hard work and i still find mistakes as i go through the the manuscript but uh that's life as in translation yes so as I was also teaching, you know, at the same time, I, would, I teach writing, I was teaching writing to kids at the American school. And one particular student had an interest in psychology. And in particular, he was kind of working on issues with his own masculinity, uh, mm -hmm. coming of age, and that kind of thing. And I had read online about a book called King, Warrior, Magician, and Lover. And I thought, this might be an interesting book for this young boy. So when I went to the States, um, no, no, sorry, it was before, before that, um, I had looked online and started reading about it. And looking at those particular archetypes, 
uh, that were kind of outlined, the positive qualities and the negative qualities of each of the four archetypes, I started to see that Confucius had been setting up the same standards and was using figures and people of his time who are kind of examples of the negative aspects of each of those archetypes. And it just kind of overlapped and merged all in one fell swoop. And I'm like, oh, wow, look at that. It's all there in the Confucian Analects, both with Confucius as an exemplar and also some of his students, and also within his teaching, how he describes and talks about various people of that time. So who are the people that, so it sounds like what he's doing is he's looking at people who are the bad example. Does, he also, does Confucius also talk about the good examples, the exemplary? Oh, he uh, mainly talks about the good examples. Mainly the good examples, okay. Yeah, he sets up standards for people to measure themselves and to uh, against and also to try to work towards. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about these standards. Mm. All right, so if you look at... We'll, we'll, we'll work from um, the Jungian, the four Jungian archetypes. Mm -hmm. And I chose this book particularly because it was a young, it was a, you know, a young man coming of age. And Confucius also worked, most of his students, I mean, his students were basically men. And at that point in, you know, society at that time, it was women had their work and men had their work. And there was a bit of a split, so um, those archetypes, even though they're, that book um, was meant for young men, or for men in general, um, the archetypes are actually kind of asexual and universal. Mm -hmm. So the king is more like how to be, and mm -hmm. the warrior is about how to do. And the magician is about thinking. And the lover is about um, touch. touch. Touching and being touched by things. So as uh, Confucius talks about, he talks a lot about how to be and how to do. Mm -hmm. There's your king and warrior. Yeah. And also about how to think and how not to think. As far as the lover about being touched, he doesn't have quotes, but he always, like, for example, for, to his son, he told his son that if, he, if, if you don't want to be a wallflower, if you don't want to stand there and not be able to converse, converse with people, you have to delve into the book of poetry in order to be able to connect with people. Mm -hmm. So you need to know something about being touched to be able to connect with folks. Yeah. And Confucius himself, he would have um, these evenings or these gatherings in which, and, and I think this was, I don't know if it started with him or if this was part of the culture originally, and it is still kind of true today in smaller circles of the literati, or literati, however you say it. They would, one person would make a poem or create a poem and recite it or half like half recite half sing it 
And then the, another person would, in response to that, if they were touched by that, they would write a poem in response and either sing it or recite it back. Mm-hmm. So this is what people were doing before Netflix came along. <laughs> but seriously, so was this, I mean, was this a way of passing time so that it was pleasurable or was this a way of, of, of teaching and, and sharing information? I would imagine it was a bit of both. Mm. You know, it was the way they, they relaxed, they had a little bit of wine, somebody was on the side playing the guqin or whatever instrument or the flute or whatever. And then, um, you know, one person's just inspired, grabs their calligraphy pen, gets out some rice paper and just writes down a few lines and then, you know, intones the poem. And every, I know everybody's like, you know, all the, the men there are rubbing their beards, stroking those long beards that they have and, and fluttering their sleeves, those long sleeves that they have and saying, mmm, mmm. And then one of them will make a toast and then, the re and then takes the paper and then continues writing the poem. So I've seen some etchings of poems that were like the first, you can see all different calligraphy. A friend of mine has one of these on his wall and under each calligraphy you would have the different stamps so they would stamp their poem you know they they have their um their seal with their name carved into it and then they would stamp it on the the, the paper after that and then sometimes if there were famous people who did these poems these would be carved into rocks mm -hmm. I've, I've seen rocks in in china that have, yeah, they have poems carved into them. Yeah, so they've been doing that for a long time. Yep. It, it's funny, I, I mean, this reminds me a little bit, you know, we're talking about that we did a podcast from a tea shop, but, you know, I spent a lot of time in tea shops when mm. I was in Taiwan. And in some ways, it's still a little bit like this, because you could be sitting around drinking tea, someone comes up with something, they might share some verse or a snippet of conversation or a chung you, right? Some kind of uh, chung you. How do you say that in English? All of a sudden I can't think. Um, <laughs> proverb. Yeah. And, but sometimes people will like pull out a pen, you know, a malby, mm -hmm. a brush, and, and write a few characters or like dip it in the thrown out tea water and just write it on the table. <laughs> All right, so it, it's uh, it, it, that that bit of tradition is still alive today when you're it hanging in, in tea is. shops. Yeah. Now, I love how these things. I, I mean, I always love when I different cultures and different times come up with things that are similar. You know, I mean, human beings are not that different, even though we have different cultures and languages and influences of our times and and all of that. Still. Human beings are, you know, more alike than different in so many ways. And so to, to hear about how Confucius has come up with things that years later down the road, Jung came up with in the way of archetypes, I mean, it just makes a lot of sense because there are these ways that we are, that even if you forget about it through history and time, it's like it repeats, it comes back. Yeah, well... Master Nan, he placed so much importance on this book by Confucius, right? and Confucius was also in, he was in a similar historical kind of a, like the times were similar, both for Confucius and for Master Nan. Mm, how's that? 
it, both of them were facing, were, were looking at and watching how the, the culture was in a time of decay. Tell us again when Master Nan lived. What was his lifetime? When was he born? 1918 or 16 or something like that. Mm. And he passed away about six or seven years ago. Mm -hmm. A lot of change in China at that time. There's huge. Yeah, he was one ridiculous. of the last, he was like the last generation to get uh, the traditional education in which he was tutored at home. You know, the, his family was um, well off, not very, very rich, but, but, you know, comfortable. And so they would have tutors come to the house and tutor him. And he also studied martial arts. Um, so they would have martial arts teachers also come to the, uh, come to his home. And then after he was older, then he went to what would be considered like a school. And this kind of an education, uh, right after, after his youth, it completely changed. Like every, you know, they started to adopt the Western way of schooling. And so people started school at a much younger age. They didn't have, they, there wasn't the tutorials. There wasn't the, you know, memorization of classical texts. I mean, that was still part of some of the education, but it was shifting to, more towards a Western type of education. Mm -hmm. So less tutoring, more classroom. Yeah, classroom and standardized and rather than individualized. And testing was another, I mean, like, it's part of the Chinese this whole exam system has been part of the Chinese culture for, you know, a few thousand years. But the way of testing in school um, is quite different than the way of testing at those exams. Those exams would be, you would have to write original essay. Within the essay, it would show your depth and breadth of understanding of all kinds of areas of knowledge and your original perspective or viewpoint on that and mm. how it relates to um, history or the times or some important issue that that maybe the country was facing. So it wasn't enough just to know the content. You had to be able to know the content, have your own original ideas, comment on it all at the same time and do it not through multiple choice, but, if, but through written essay. Exactly. Yeah. So you had to really know your stuff and you had to really know yourself. Yeah. And I think, th I mean, that was that plus this whole um, central importance of benevolence within the society was something that Confucius saw that was in danger at his period of time in history when the, there was like different warlords were trying to gain control of different areas of the country and they were all fighting against each other and the the high time of culture that Confucius was educated about and, you know, saw as really being the, the, the most important part of what needed to be preserved was kind of gone to the wind, sort of, because mm -hmm. what was important now was military might and your strength and your ability to be scheming and your, um, or, you know, like dancing girls, uh, were a very important part of the times. And so the, like the decay of morals, but also, but more importantly, the you know, less and less value on education and on, uh, you know, the classics and the spirit of the Chinese culture. So both Master Nan and Confucius, both of them felt that they, they were more like 
not saying anything new, but rather taking what was precious, repackaging it, re and reselling it to the people and making sure that people know that, okay, we've got something really good in our culture and this needs to be protected. It needs to be preserved and passed on. So, yeah, I'm just struck here by the similarities here because I'm thinking about China in the last century, especially the, well, I mean, through most of the last century. Mm. Um, and it, it was, I mean, there was a period of warlords and such, you know, when the Republic first came along, they were struggling to try to build a country and fighting off Japan at the same time. And then you get World War II coming in and, you know, all that craziness. So, yeah, very, very similar. And then, well, one of the biggest dangers that Master Nan saw, besides the westernization, because westernization tends to, it's a whole different approach to learning and to understanding things. But another thing was the um, changing from the traditional characters to the simplified characters. Mm -hmm. Master Nan saw that as one of the greatest threats to Chinese culture that there, of, of the times. And what else did he have to say about that? What was his concern? Without being able to read, without the training and without, um, you know, like from very young, using the classics themselves to train and, and it's called to, to edify your mind and your personality, that unless you work with these and, and start to understand the connections because uh, it's a pictorial language, mm -hmm. but it's also uh, it's also culturally, it's like you take this piece, this piece, this piece, this piece, and then at some point, it's like, you know those pictures on the wall and they're kind of like all those little dots, little dots, little dots, and then at some point your eyes, your perspective shifts and then you see a picture from inside jump out. Yes. You know, the, the Chinese culture is like that. Mm -hmm. It's like the, the, that magic eye kind of thing where it just looks like static. Mm -hmm. And then you just relax your eyes a certain way and a whole gestalt will appear out of the noise. That's what Chinese culture is. Mm. Chinese culture has this, uh, like I, I, from having learned through Master Nan and having gone deeply into, you know, like various aspects of Chinese culture, it's fractal. The, the big is reflected in the small pieces and the small pieces contain everything that the big pieces have. It's very magical. And it sounds like it also reflects, eh, I'm reluctant to use the term universal truth. That eh, seems a little ostentatious, but it, let's say it reflects things about human beings that are sort of innate to human beings. You could definitely say that, and I would even go further because the whole basis of the Chinese culture, one of the most precious things in it is the I Ching. And the I Ching itself, um, like this is one of the things which you can see, like it's one of the pictures that pops out. And it's kind of like in computer language, if you are, if you were one of these people who worked on mainframes or worked on like the very deep, deep levels of computer work, it's all mm -hmm. zeros and ones. Right. Well, the same, it, it, it's basically the same thing in Chinese culture through the looking at the whole world and all phenomena through straight line and broken line. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. 
I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. I've noticed this too, and it, you know, my modern mind looks at it and goes, oh, isn't that cool, right? We've got this amazing computer technology works on ones and zeros. We've got things like the Yijing or Yin Yang, ones and zeros. And so there's a part of me that goes, wow, that's cool. But there's this other part of me that totally does not understand how we get from like a binary on or off to the fantastic complexity of the world that we live in. <laughs> this might be a detour from Confucius into something else, but I'd like to get your thoughts on that. No, I mean, I think this is part of what being able to penetrate and access and understand and utilize the wisdom that's held within the within the I Ching is one of the is one of the major things that uh, Confucius also wanted to preserve that knowledge of because from the I Ching numerology astrology music measure medicine medicine it's uh, politics um, interpersonal relations, cycles, large and small, natural and socio-political cycles, and on and on and on and on are within the I Ching. And so he did a, a, a Confucius did a commentary on the I Ching. Master Nan did a commentary on the I Ching. That was one, I think, within Chinese culture. And they say it came from a previous culture and was left uh, like a pre-Ice Age high culture that had all but been destroyed on this earth. And it was what was, it was like the distilled wisdom of that culture that was left behind. And ancient Chinese people were able to penetrate and access and understand and pass that, um, that, that information or that, that, that wisdom onward through their culture. There was also the other piece that both Confucius and Master Nan placed vital importance on was the spirit of benevolence, the mm -hmm. spirit of, or, or the, the, this thinking that in order for me to be my best and to be really, truly well, everybody needs to be well and happy. It's not a very Buddhist idea as well. I mean, it's not kind of a bodhisattva idea that... It really is, isn't it? It sounds very similar, that I'm not going to Nirvana until everybody else is on board that ship. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, maybe Confucius was a bodhisattva disguised as a ancient sage. Um, yeah, people would argue that for sure. Hmm. 
The term benevolence, are you, this is the character in Chinese, this is Ren, right? Ren, or Ren Zipang, yeah. and then you got like two horizontal lines. Yes. That is such a weird O character to try to translate and to understand. That is just... It is. <laughs> it's one of those elusive characters. It seems super elusive. Can you unpack that for us? Well, as best as I best I can. I mean, it's really simple, actually. If you look at, if you take the left half, which is the pictorial symbol for person, mm -hmm. and the second half, the other side is the symbol for two. Yes. How do you get to benevolence from that? So we don't live in this world alone. There's always self and other. Mm. So if yourself, the the left half is going to be getting along with other people, the two, mm -hmm. without benevolence, the character is going to split, or either you're going to kill each other, in which case there's going to be nothing left. So in order for the left half and the right half to stay together, you got to be nice to each other. So it brings up this idea, and of course, us as Westerners, right, we have this whole independence, I can get by without anybody. Of course, we find that that's not true. That doesn't last for very long. You know, I mean, yeah. it's you want something to eat, you're, you're dependent on countless people's labors and, uh, and efforts. So it's just as simple as getting a meal. But yeah, the idea uh, that there's a self and the idea that there is a not self and that you need both of those to have a self. You can't have a self without non-self. Yes. Which is a That's bit of a paradox. That's the essence of the Heart Sutra right there, Michael. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, benevolence. Mm. I mean, again, this is, this is a word in English. I can't say that it's used much in common language. No. And I'm not even sure that most people know what that means in terms of how you would behave or what you would do. Or, or how it's important. Mm. Um, in the introduction, I, I gave a little bit of an explanation to help Western readers. And the best way I can put it is to have it as the habit in your mind. I mean, it has to, it has to, it has to become such a habit that it's innate, in which you always hold in your heart the best intentions for all of the people and beings within your sphere of influence, no matter how small or big. So whether you be, um, your sphere of influence is with a house, within a household, mm -hmm. whether it's just you and your dog, whether you are the head of a state, president of a large country, or manager, uh, you know, you have a team of however many people, but to have your intentions for all of your actions be that everything I do is for the greater good of everybody involved. Because we've got ourself, but then there's the other, and without the other, self doesn't last very long. We are a collective existence. So it reminds us of our collective nature. And our, 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 how many how many little microbes are in our bodies? Come on, we we're, we're not even a single self as far as the body is concerned. Yeah, what's what's that ridiculous number these days about how much 
DNA in our body is human and how much is non-human. I th it's something like half and half when you consider the gut biome these days. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we truly are this conglomeration of stuff. Yeah. All right. I, I want to come back to the archetypes for a moment, if we can. Mm. Mm -hmm. You were talking about the king, which is the energy, let's just call it, let's non sec let's uh, make it gender neutral, I guess. That's, that's the popular term being, yeah, right? How to the be energy of being how to be. And can you give us some examples? Because it sounds like both Confucius and and was the uh, was it Robert Moore who wrote that book? Yes. Yeah, I remember yeah. reading that years ago, great book for mm -hmm. a young man coming of age. Yeah, if I had a, a son or a nephew or something who uh, was coming of age, I think I would choose that one as well. It's, uh, mm. it's, 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 it's quite good. So I just like to go through these and, and talk about the exemplary versions and, and the non-exemplary and, okay. and, and, and how we can be attentive to those energies in our life so that maybe the kerfuffles that we're in, we can, we can find our way out of them. How does that sound? Mm. I will do my best. All right. That's all, that's all any of us can do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the being energy, the king energy or queen energy, whatever you want to call it, the being energy, what does that look like when it is sort of upright? And what does that look like when it's, I don't know, pathologic is the right word. What, what, what would you use? Non-exemplary? Yeah, you could say that. But in, in, uh, the, expl like in uh, the explanations, there are these like kind of pyramid uh, or triangular configurations in which at the top is the what you're aiming for the most exemplary and then on the bottom the negative side has both a positive and, and a, like an overactive and an underactive uh oh this sounds a little bit like chinese medicine shoe and sure <laughs> uh yeah pretty okay. close all right so all right so the king energy the if you are overactive you become a tyrant and if you're mm. underactive, you become a weakling king without, you know, powerless. Mm -hmm. Or abdicate. Yeah. Or, yeah, let other people control. So let me give you a quote that the master, as he's called Confucius, he's called the master by his, by his students. So the master said, Shun was the only one who was able to rule without taking any action. How did he do it? by uprightly occupying his royal seat. So he was talking about an ancient king, King Shun, and about how King Shun was able to rule the land because of his own integrity. As opposed to trying to hold it together like a warlord. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was, um, at the time, there was one of the warlords who used to always go to, to see Confucius was called Ji Kangzi. And Ji Kangzi would come and they would ask, why aren't the people following my rule? Why, you know, like, why do I have so many thieves in my kingdom? <laughs> How come I got all these bad actors around here? <laughs> and Confucius said to him, well, if you yourself were, you know, worthy of respect, even if you told people to steal, they wouldn't steal. Ah. So it all, it all comes back to, as a ruler, what kind of an example are you setting for the others? Are you walking your talk? Well, certainly you see this in families and you see this in, you know, in the workplace as well, 
where if someone who is in a position of leadership is not walking the talk, everybody notices. It's super, super obvious. Mm -hmm. In any kind of an organization or um, business or company or whatever, who's ever, who, the, the personality of the person at the very top kind of filters through and all of the different aspects of that person kind of become magnified through the organization. Mm. So this being piece, mm. especially here in the West, I, I don't think we give much credence to being. We're so, we're so focused on doing. We're going to get into the warrior here in a moment. Mm -hmm. We're so focused on doing. We don't think so much about being. And yet it sounds like the being piece deeply permeates the uh, the environment and it deeply permeates the relationships yeah. within that environment. Yes. There's one quote here. It says, um, to be governed by virtue is like the pole star or the North Star, which remains in its place while the myriad lesser stars pay homage to it. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes Confucius gets conflated with having a structure and people should I'm using air quotes here, like know their place, know their place in society, know their place in the world. And, you know, seen as kind of strict in, in that sense. And that, as you said earlier, you know, women had one job in life at that time, men had another job, and they didn't really intermix like they do today. And so sometimes I think Confucius really gets looked at as this person who was standing up for like structure and patriarchy. What would you say about that? Master Nan talks about that and says mm. that perspective or that view of Confucius was manipulated. During the Tang, the Tang Dynasty was a time like, okay, Confucius was pre-Tang. And then during the Tang Dynasty was the like one of the golden ages of China in which all kinds of arts were flourishing. They were having, you know, they, people were in contact with people from other countries. There was, it, it was a um, time of exploration, a time of like the Renaissance. Yeah, good time to be in China. It was the time, it was definitely the time. Good time to, to be in China. Yep, yep, yep. And then from within that, as that peaked, there were these people who wanted power but they also were conservative in their thinking and so they were trying to promote their particular conservative idea and we're not getting far in the main cities because the, that was where all of the cultural action was and they went to the outskirts and found support by people who were kind of a little bit alienated by all this uh, unconventional new stuff and kind of like found support with them and slowly, slowly built up his base of power and took power. And then he imposed a very conservative uh, viewpoint of Confucius in order to make that the supporting, uh, you know, like the, the philosophy that kind of supports their political mm -hmm. stance and power. They put, put women back in their place. Um, clothing should be non-revealing, et cetera, et cetera, this kind of thing. And Confucius and, you know, like Confucius, who is the father of our culture, although Confucius would have something to say about that, he would say, I'm certainly not, but he 
had his particular perspective, conservative perspective, be the standard by which all people in the government, um, they had to adhere to his particular perspective. And that he, that kind of a conservative standard kind of like went on for many, many generations, quite a few hundred years. And the power of Jushi's, Jushi's conservative perspective kind of like had a stranglehold on um, China uh, to a certain extent and on the scholars and on the, the exams. So Master Nan said, if you look at pre-Jushi explanations of Confucius, they were not stiff. They were not super conservative. They were, you know, Confucius himself was a man who uh, was very much alive, very much promoted the, you know, happy lives for people. And yes, he did promote or he did uh, place a lot of importance on the rituals and things like that of that, that were passed on from his time. But it was only because for Confucius, the rituals were the times when people could come a little bit closer to something a little bit more spiritual. So the, the, the rituals were more like the wrapping for the spirit, which was like the invisible man. And the culture, that culture and those rituals were kind of like the cloak of the invisible man. This is interesting. So, I mean, we see this the way that human beings today will take and manipulate ideas and information, right? You've got someone like Confucius who carries a lot of authority in Chinese culture mm -hmm. for good reason. And then you just kind of like cherry pick pieces of that and say, well, you know, this is, this is what he actually meant. And you're pulling on the moral authority, but at the same time, you're putting your own agenda through there. And, you know, I mean, we see religions do this all the time. Oh yeah. Right. I mean, this is, this is, you know, any good politician knows how to do this very, very well. It's just one of the things that us human beings tend to do. Which again comes back to what you were talking about with the being that there is the you know infusing with benevolence or there is the trying to manipulate and uh, you know enforce your will, which creates a whole different situation. Totally not what Confucius was was all about. I mean, like he 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 pointed out people should be temperate, they should be kind, they should be courteous restrained and magnanimous we could use some of that here in the united states these days <laughs> <laughs> i mean i guess we could use it anywhere and anytime when you come right down to it you know those are things that build good relationships yep and look at look at look at here look at look at what he says to ji kangzi so ji kangzi comes and asks what can i do to make people be respectful and faithful and educate one another I mean, he himself was, he, he was a warlord. And Confucius mm -hmm. said, treat them with dignity and they will be respectful. Treat them with kindness and they will be faithful. Promote the worthy and teach the backward and they will be able to educate one another. So it was not about force. It was not about top down. No, no. I mean, it sounds very Tao Te Ching-ish, doesn't it? Yeah. He and Lao Tzu were good friends, actually. They had great respect for one another. They, they were contemporaries? Yes. They were contemporaries. Yeah. Is that cool? They, they were like Facebook friends. So I guess I shouldn't be too surprised that Lao Tzu sounds a bit like 
Confucius, and both of them sound a bit like the Tao Te Ching, and both of them kind of rhyme with the uh, I Ching. And this really, <laughs> yeah, and and this really bespeaks this this being aspect that comes down through so many different parts of of Chinese culture and in, in the great classics that we have. Mm -hmm. I want to turn for a moment now into the warrior, into the doing piece, because so often when I read the I Ching, or I read the Tao Te Ching in particular, there's a lot about being, but the doing piece is often like, well, you know, you take care of the being, the doing will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. But, you know, here we have Carl Jung talking about the warrior, and we have this aspect of doing, and of course there is an element of our lives that does require doing, so I'd, I'd like to hear a bit about the warrior archetype, both from the Jungian side and, and from the Confucian side. I bet Master Nan has something to say about it too. Well, both Master Nan and Confucius were doers. Mm -hmm. uh, and and Lao Tzu kind of would poke fun at him and say like, you know, you're trying to do the impossible. I don't know why you don't just join me here in the in the woods and uh, by the rivers to to watch the clouds pass by. And Confucius is just like saying, that's just not who I am. I totally respect that. And you have your very important place in the scheme of things, but I cannot not do. Even though I know it's impossible, I cannot not do. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations, all of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP certified facilities and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. I love that. <laughs> I, I, t I totally love that. I mean, I, I tend to be one of these doer kinds of people. Mm. And, and so I read things like the I Ching. And there's a part of me that's like, yeah, that's nice. But damn it, <laughs> at some point, you got you to gotta make something happen. Yep. So Confucius falls on one side. Lao Tzu falls on the other. What does Confucius have to say to us about like doing properly or doing effective, you know, doing in a way that, that uh, doesn't injure creation. Because so often when, when I read the Tao Te Ching, mm. it, it seems that if, if you attempt to do too much, you're actually going to injure creation, going to cause more trouble for yourself. Uh -huh. How do we go about doing without causing ourselves some mischief? All right. So a lot of simple, straightforward advice, for example, 
somebody asked about what does it mean to be a gentleman? He does what he says before he says what he does. Ooh, right. Does what he says before he says what he does. Yep. So be, being exempl exemplary in your action and thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the, the warrior, like if, if it's out of balance, mm -hmm. if it's over, if you're overpoweringly warrior, then what's going to happen is that you will be, um, in, in the book, it's called the sadist. Uh, the, the negative de-energized side would be the masochist, which they're, they're not, you know, they allow the circumstances to overwhelm them and hurt themselves. Okay. So this is from uh, Robert Moore's yes. book. Okay. All right. So now let's talk about, there was, um, one of, one of Confucius's main students is uh, called Zi Lu. And Zi Lu, he was, he's a warrior. He's a man of action. And he's always talking about, you know, like how he would, if he was in control of a state, he would be able to, you know, like, you know, make it, uh, get the armed forces whipped up into shape and become prosperous, have everybody become prosperous. And, you know, everybody can wear their fur coats and ride in horse carriages and throw apples to, you know, to the children as they ride by. Yeah, he's kind of, he's kind of a, like, he's a, a larger than life sort of a character who always wants to, who has these visions of himself kind of like as a, a combination of warrior Santa Claus kind of a guy. He would always kind of go, oh, he would overestimate his own ability. And the one point uh, he asked, he asked the master, he asked Confucius, sir, if you were to lead the three armed forces, who would you take with you? Obviously he wants Confucius to, to say him. And, and Confucius, said back to him, I would not take someone who has no fear to face a ferocious tiger or wade across a raging river and is ready to die without regrets. The person must approach his understanding with a sober fear of failure, but in the end, successfully execute well-drawn plans. Oh, wow. Bim bam, put you in your place, Zulu. Wow. Yeah, well, you know, we often hear this thing about, well, you know, just be fearless and go for it. And, you know, you only live once, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, you wouldn't want to go into battle with someone who didn't also have a healthy sense of fear. Healthy sense, not too much, but, you know, enough to not do stupid stuff. Yeah. Happy to die. I'm happy to die for the cause. Yeah, you know, you don't want that person leading anything. Right. Mm. Exactly. Does Master Nan have any thoughts that come to mind on, on this uh, doing piece? Master Nan was also, like, I mean, like, he absorbed Confucius when he was a child. So, like, when you memorize these texts, they kind of permeate through who you are. So mm -hmm. in his, um, and, and, well, it depends on who he's talking to. To some people... He would put a fire under their butt and say, you know, like, and say, like, if, you know, if you don't start doing something now, you, you know, you're, you're basically just going to die a waste of molecules. And for other people, he would kind of throw cold water on them and sort of 
tone them down and you know say like please assess clearly what you you know you only have one lifetime who do you think you are you know i i, I again and again come back to how this kind of stuff shows up in the medicine that we practice right mm. shoe and sure it's, it's i mean often patients will come and they'll say oh you know it's like what have you got for xyz problem and the answer is never i got xyz the answer is well, what kind of person are you and what do you need? Some uh -huh. people really need a fire lit under them. Some people need <laughs> to be very gently supported and brought along. Others need to have their butts kicked. And, and that's what will be right for them. So, so it sounds like someone who is balanced uh, and grounded in their warrior-doer part will know what to do when for whom. Yeah, because if your if your warrior part is overpowering your king and your thinker and your feeler, then then it's going to be out of balance. Mm -hmm. I would think a warrior would have a very keen sense of discernment as well. Well, yeah, definitely, and a healthy warrior would definitely have that. Yeah, which which sounds a little bit like the magician. Didn't you say the magician was about thinking? Magician is about thinking, yes. Mm -hmm. um, let me read you first a quote about the de-energized warrior. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's, let's, let's hear about the warrior who could use a little bit of futsa. Okay, so there's somebody who came to Confucius and said, It's not that I don't like your way, it's just that I lack the strength to practice it. And the master said back to him, Those who lack the strength will come to a halt halfway. But in your case, you are drawing limits before you even begin. <laughs> oh, man. Now, see, this is all good stuff to uh, give to anyone, young woman or young man who's coming of age, these kind of uh, perspectives. Yeah. Don't defeat yourself before even starting. Yeah. Yeah. How do you know you're not going to make it? And if you make it halfway, well, it's better than not getting anywhere. Who knows what resources you'll find on the way? Yeah, exactly. You'll learn something about yourself when you say, no, I actually didn't have the strength to do that, but... I have found in my life, most of the things that I, that I actually have managed to accomplish, um, I did not have the ability when I began, and I fortunately as well did not have the awareness that I didn't have the ability when I began. <laughs> because... Had I had the awareness I didn't have the ability when I began, I would not have started. I would have been exactly like that that weakened warrior. Mm. And so I feel really fortunate in many ways that I have started off on certain journeys in this in this particular life. And I was not able to do it when I began, but it's like jumping off a cliff and, and discovering that you can make some wings on the way down. Right? Or you go along a journey and the journey changes you and gives you what you need so that you can become that thing. That's right. Yeah. I think that's the magic and the power of youth. And youth not having to do with age. Youth in terms of that sense of I'm going to set off. Well, it's like that tarot card, the fool, right? Yes. Setting off. Oh, lovely day. Sun is shining and I'm stepping off the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> yep, 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 yeah. yep, yep, yep. All right. Well, what about the magician? All right. The very first quote of the Analects 
Is it not a pleasure to learn and often practice what one has learned? Um, I would not argue with that. And from learning, I mean, from learning is not book learning, according to Confucius. Mm -hmm. And also from Master Nan, you know, like he would encourage people to learn in all kinds of ways. I mean, it, you learn from other people, you learn from experiences, you learn from your travels, you learn from starting things and, and not being able to finish them because you learn that you that you were not well prepared and you didn't have what what was needed, etc. So learning is when you say like walk a thousand li and you know it's it's as if you've read more than a thousand books. To be able to attend to your experience. To know how to attend to your experience. So what are the what are the strong magicians and weak magicians look like? So strong magicians are able to, they, they seek knowledge, they're interested. Um, they want to, uh, they're, they're good bullshit detectors. Mm. Um, they can see evil masquerading as good, can skillfully point out mistakes or misjudgment. They're, they're, they're kind of fearless, actually. They do have a little bit of the, like, once you're, if you're a strong magician, you, you don't have any fear because you see things clearly the way it way it the way they are. Right, you get that discernment that a good warrior would have. Yeah, they kind of yeah they they overlap, definitely. The, the warrior is more about the energy, and then uh, it, it's like the heart, uh, the chest of the person, whereas the magician is the head of the person. And you need both. Yep. Okay, and and what and the weak magician, what do they look like? Weak magicians manipulators, withholding information, uh, cynical detachment, certain doctors or lawyers or scientists, they want to, they don't tell you the whole picture because they want to demonstrate their superiority and their information comes at a cost. Whereas like if you have too weak uh, magician energy, it's like you're envious of people who do act, who live, who, sh you know, who share and who they may be very very smart but they like to deflate other people they're hostile um they kind of like tear other people apart slippery they don't have their own stand but they can tear apart other people's um they feign innocence when kind of like pinned down to what exactly have you said or done so they can be like sarcastic and passive aggressive as all get out gaslighters uh-huh okay so there's a very good quote about the negative side. Uninhibited, but devious. Obtuse, but scheming. Shallow and untrusting. And he's talking about the leaders of the time. I do not know what will come to pass. Um, well, you know, we're, I mean, we're living in times like this too. I, exactly. I read this quote and I started laughing. I'm like, oh man, this could be like something from the newspapers today. <laughs> it could be something from the newspapers today. It, yeah. I mean, there's there's amazing things about the time that we live, but there, there's a lot of darkness in it. A lot of this, uh, well, you know, I mean, it seems, you know, when we look at how yin and yang works anyway, it, it's never that there's one age where you've got all one and none of the other. There's it, it's There's just varying amounts. And I suspect distributed unevenly at that, right? Yeah. Even in any dark age, you're also going to find incredible people doing incredible things, partly because it is a dark age. Yep, yep, yep. 
those points of light are particularly bright in the darkness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let me give you one more quote. Learn as if you, as if what you already knew were inadequate and as if you might lose what you have already learned. Do not sit on your laurels. Would you read that again? I want to hear that one more time. That really went through me. Mm. Learn as if what you already knew were inadequate and as if you might lose what you already have learned. Wow. Um, yeah, that one really rings a bell for me for some reason. And Master Nan always said, you're not learning for this lifetime. You, you need to learn for the next life because you bring with you uh, the kind of culmination of what you, what you have cultivated in your past life. So what we learn in this life will set us up for what we're going to work on in the next one. Mm -hmm. So put your time in now. Mm -hmm. Anything else about the magician that you'd want to share? I think we've touched upon some of the good points. Ah, okay. So this is about for, for also for leaders. Deceptive words throw ethical values into disorder. Lack of forbearance in small matters ruins great plans. Sounds like Dao De Jing again. Yeah. Thanks, Lao Tzu. <laughs> Integrity. Yeah. Let's turn to the lover. This uh, Confucius is... Yeah, what you got to say about this? He's so funny. Okay, let's, let's, let's look at the lover. The, the lover is somebody who feels mm. the understandings and like looks for beauty and luminosity and has a heightened sensitivity, you know, artists, poets, and they like to go beyond boundaries mm. to experience what's on the other side. And to see, like, like, do I have that potential? What is the other person experiencing? And they're able to, like, so lovers, pe people who the lover energy is very strong, they're, they don't have shame about body. They feel very deeply sensual, and, but they're in awe of the, all of the splendor of what the senses bring and what, what is out there. But on the negative side... If one is overactive lover energy, uh, they can get they, they get addicted. They're addictive, so lost in the sensuality, whether it be music or cars or drugs or sex or smoking or whatever. They lose themselves in the moment of pleasure and they cannot detach. Uh, they get lost in the parts. They lose sight of the whole, and they get overwhelmed and they lack boundaries. So the addictive type person might have an overabundance of this lover type energy. Yes. Underactive, life is flat, boring. Uh, they don't have, the, they, they lack sensitivity. They're cut, they cut themselves off from others. They're numb to other people's feelings. Probably that would feed into kind of like the, that sadistic energy of the warrior. Mm, it could. I, I would imagine that those would be a pair. Mm -hmm. And of course, we all have all aspects of these energies within us. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Yes. And without them, we wouldn't, we would, we would be out of balance. What does Confucius have to say about this, this lover type energy? He himself, um, he listened, there was a piece of music that he listened to, uh, a particular music performance. And he was so touched. And he was just like, he said, I couldn't, I can't imagine that music could reach such a state of perfection. And he said for about three months, 
food had no taste. Huh. One could say that he was a little bit over in that particular. A, a little over in that. Yeah, I could see that. Well, I would think that that an abundance and excess of lover energy would be incredibly pleasurable and delightful. I mean, how could it not be? <laughs> but then you lose yourself. Then you lose yourself, and then there's no self to enjoy the pleasure. Yeah. Right, so here's a quote in, in which um, Confucius was talking about a particular poem. It was the first, the first poem of the, of the Book of Poems. It was a poem about turtle doves. And, it's, and he said that in the turtle dove poem, there is enjoyment without being lustful and melancholy without despair. Even there's feeling, there's touching, there's, there's going beyond the self, but there is also measure. And there's, uh, yeah, it's like you don't go too far. This reminds me of the general that went to Confucius and asked him about who would you ask to lead the three armies into battle? And he goes, not someone who doesn't have some fear. Yeah. Not someone who's fearless, right? We're, we're talking about these, uh, these ways of striking a kind of balance that allows, that, that really allows a deeper experience. Mm. He had... There was one student, a uh, young man, who he kind of watched him reading a poem about white jade. And as this young man read the poem, he had, obviously he had, uh, the poem touched him and he, he recited it three times, just very slowly, recited out loud. And Confucius decided this was the man to, um, that his daughter should marry. And he asked that they be paired for, for marriage. Recognizing that lover energy, that, uh, that ability to touch. Yeah, hmm. that his daughter would be well-loved and, and well-respected you know, well and taken care of by this man. Mm -hmm. What about Mas Master Nan and his thoughts on this? Um, Master Nan also would be touched by things uh, he would, you know, like we'd be talking in some, some nights and then he would suddenly, he would ask somebody to, you know, like sing a song or, or, you know, like recite some ancient poetry or something like that. Or he would do the same thing too. And it was very beautiful when he would recite. I'm just, I'm, I'm so struck here by the, uh, the similarities across time and culture and, and space. I guess I shouldn't be surprised by it, but but I still am. And it's, it, it, for me, it's a real, pleasure is not the right word, but in, it's like an affirmation that there are these aspects of us that are human beings, these, these incredible mixes and balances. And it's been recognized across time, across culture, through various places, that we have these kinds of energies within us and, and what we do with it and how we work with it uh, can allow us to have a, a really lovely, well-lived life where it can, where, or we can bring a lot of trouble upon ourselves. Yes, very much. Pia, anything else that you would like to share with us before we wind this down for tonight? There was, um, uh, Confucius asked a few of his students, they were all in the room together, and he asked them, um, what is your what is your dream? What would be what would be you know for you, happiness and success? 
And one was saying that oh, he would like to rule a state with so many chariots and be able to bring, you know, bring the state into order and prosperity. And another one wanted to be like, a, you know, an ambassador and bring peace among all of the states. And a third one was something very similar to be able to, you know, like go and be persuasive and have people, you know, listen to reason and whatever in, in the state legislature. And, and then there was one man who was playing the, the, the guqing on the side. And, and he asked him, and you, Dian, what's your, uh, what would you, what would bring you happiness and what would you consider to be successful, happy life? And he took the zither and went, bring. Yeah, for me, I would love to, on the end, you know, like the end of winter is coming into spring and it's warm. We can finally shed our winter clothes. We go down to the river, take a dip, have a picnic, and we come back home hand in hand singing. And the master said, Din, that's my dream as well. It's like, in the end, um, all of this, what we've been doing, what, are we, what have we been fighting for, if not but to have this kind of a peaceful life in which we can just enjoy time with each other? Well, I have certainly enjoyed this time with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's been nice. It's nice to share this. Uh, not everybody has the time or the interest in order, you know, to listen. Well, we got these geological listeners and, and they, uh, they love this stuff. You know, it's they love fun. the medicine and the culture. And, you know, again, it's, it's striking to me how we've been talking about philosophy and we've been talking about some real exemplars of uh, students of human nature, so to speak. Mm. And... A lot of it helps us to better understand how to work with people in our clinics and how to help people with the medicine that we have. The principles are all in there. Yes, it's all microcosms of the microcosm. So you can see that, that, that you have that holistic view and have that kind of a seeing all of these energies, both as physical, emotional, uh, spiritual, then you're better able to serve the people who, uh, who come to you. Well, thank you so much for the time, and I look forward to having tea with you in Taiwan again sometime soon. That would be lovely. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.